Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. When it comes to investing in real estate, especially for new investors, I think it's important to start with something small. Similar to what I did, start with something that you could cover the mortgage if you had to. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of fluffy stuff with us today, Robert Leonard. How you doing, Robert? Joe, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and it's my pleasure. A little bit about Robert. He's a real estate investor and stock investor. He's a podcast host of two shows. First one, real estate investing. Second is millennial investing. And he's a full-time corporate finance manager. He's 24 years old, has completed six deals, and is now focusing on long-term rentals based in Boston. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. So I started originally investing in the stock market, and I always thought that that was going to be my way to wealth. I knew for a long time that after college, I wanted to go work at a hedge fund. I was familiar with real estate. I knew it was something that people were doing, but I didn't think that I could do it. I was only 20 years old. I didn't think it was something that was possible for me. I thought it was only for the wealthy until one day I got more interested in it and I started to study it. And I learned that I was technically already investing in real estate. Because I was told by my parents that as soon as I got a full-time job after college, I'd have to pay rent to live in their house. And I knew this before even entering college. And since I didn't want to pay rent to them, I worked almost full-time my entire time throughout school so that I could save money to buy a house when I graduated. Thankfully, I was able to save enough money to buy a condo before I walked at my college graduation. So after living there for a few months, I realized that I had a this second bedroom that I never went in. So I thought, well, I should probably just try and rent that out. So I did. I was able to rent that room out for $700 and my total all-in costs were only $1,100, including the HOA fee. Wonderful. So my, yeah. So my housing costs were only costing me about $400 a month. And that's in Boston? It was just outside of Boston. So that that's pretty cheap for just outside of Boston, I imagine. Yeah. It was a condo, so it was not full house, but it wasn't too bad. 
Mm-hmm. So my housing costs were only $400 a month. And at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that that was real estate investing. But once I started to study real estate investing more, I realized that I was doing a strategy called house hacking. So that's how I initially got started. I continued to learn more about real estate. And I realized that there was a lot of people that were having success investing in real estate. And they really weren't much different than me. All of the stories I heard were people that were actually just like me. So I said to myself, if they can do it, so can I. And that's when I started to get more into real estate and I've continued to invest since. You've completed six deals. Let's talk about those. We know the first one. What was the second one? The second one was a live-in flip. So it was a property that I bought that needed a little bit of renovations and we're doing those while we live there. And then we'll eventually turn it into a long-term rental. My family and I. Okay. So did your family and you buy the first one? No, the first one was just me by myself. Got it. So the first one was you. How many years or months from one to two? I went pretty much right from one to two. So the first one ended actually pretty interestingly. So I knew that there was something going on with the condo complex because they were adding a special assessment to the HOA fee that we paid. We didn't have any details as to what was going on, but we knew that something was happening. So I decided to take a chance on it. And it turns out that they put $7 million in renovations into the property, but they used $6 million from their HOA savings fund, which meant that the owners of the units only had to put about $10,000 into each of their own units for $65,000 in renovations. So essentially I got $55,000 to my unit done for free. So that increased the value of the unit itself as well as the complex. And so I decided to sell that property and then I rolled that into the living flip that I'm in now. Okay. Did you do 1031 exchange? I did not. I just sold it and okay. because, All right. yeah. Cool. So how much did you buy the first condo for and what did you sell it for? The first condo, I bought it for about 130000 and I sold it for about 165000 And that was only over about a seven or eight month period. And how did you have the 130 to buy it while you were in college? I didn't pay cash. I used a conventional just 5% down. And so I saved mm-hmm. 5% down and bought it that way. Okay. When you were getting approved for that loan, what were some challenges that you had to overcome, if any? I really actually didn't have to overcome any challenges because the job that I worked at throughout college was at a local bank as a loan officer. So I knew everything that they needed. I had a great credit (laughs) score. I knew everything that was going to go on. So that helped me a lot. Okay. Did you get the loan from the bank that you worked at? I did not. How come? I didn't like their mortgage process. It was a small local credit union and they took a long time and the fees weren't necessarily as competitive. So I went with a bigger bank. Okay. So you bought it for 130, you sold it for 165 over a very short period of time. Congratulations on your first deal. You went and put that into your second deal, which was a live and flip. You and your family, how much did you buy it for? We bought this for about a 145. 145, okay. And how much down did you put it? We put another 5% down. 5% down. And what happened with that property? We still live in it to this day. So we've been in it for about two and a half years and we wanted to turn a little quicker and turn it into a rental, but we've liked living there. So we haven't done that yet. Okay. And property number three. So property number three was actually my first real rental and I went long distance for this one. So as you mentioned, I live in Boston. It's an expensive market. So I Mm -hmm. actually went all the way to Texas to buy my first rental. All right. Well, where in Texas. 
in a small rural town called Wichita Falls. It's about an hour and a half, two hours outside of Dallas. Okay. I have some cousins who live there, and I'm from Fort Worth, so I know the area. What did you buy, purchase price, rent, budget to get it moving ready, if any? What are those numbers? We bought it for about 65000 I believe they were asking seventy, and we were able to get it for about sixty-five. And it was pretty much moving ready. We really didn't need to do anything. So there was no renovation costs, no rehab costs. We were able to get a tenant in there within about three weeks or so for $900 a month. Excellent. And you still have that property? Yes, I do. You're in Boston. That property's not in Boston. It's a city that is very far away. How did you land on Wichita Falls? So I am a big fan of a gentleman named Neil Bawa. He has great information about demographic data. So I studied his strategy. So what I did was I was able to aggregate a ton of census data into an Excel spreadsheet. And so I had all of this census data for about 7,000 cities across the U.S. So what I did was I narrowed it down to about a dozen different cities that had a lot of deal flow, a lot of inventory that I could afford, and also had good demographic data. It just so happened that I was making offers in all kinds of different cities, and it just so happens that the first deal that got accepted was in Wichita Falls. How do you define in this instance what good demographic data is? For good demographic data, we're looking at income growth, population growth, house value growth, a crime level that's not too excessive. And then also I'm looking for crime levels that are trending down. So I don't want crime to be trending up. Okay. And trending over what period of time? I usually look over the last decade or so. Oh, that's a good period of time. Do you look at over the last decade, those other items as well for growth, population and income and house value? Yeah. So everything is pretty much over the last decade, except for the current crime level. That's where we're at currently. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Anything else besides those five things that you look at? Those are the main things. And then once I've decided that it's a good town, then I start to look at if there are real estate professionals there that can help with my business. So competent and willing to help real estate agents, property managers, contractors, handymen, things like that. Because even if it's a good city and you don't have those people to help you, it's very difficult to go long distance. So I look at those things and then I'll start to look at neighborhood data and try and find the best neighborhoods to invest in. And for that, we're looking at income, poverty level, and unemployment data, just to make sure that we're investing in a good neighborhood. Did you visit the house before you bought it? I have not. I've never seen any of my long distance properties. I still haven't to this day. I did the same thing living in New York City, buying in Dallas, Fort Worth. I didn't visit any of the properties before I purchased them. So I understand your thought process. A lot of people did not understand my thought process when I told them that. So why did you choose not to visit the property? And how did you mitigate the risk? Yeah, it's funny. I went through the same thing. A lot of people told me I was kind of crazy and, and all kinds of things, but it really didn't seem that crazy to me. And technology has completely changed how we can invest in real estate. So for me personally, I work in finance. That's my day job. So I'm not very handy. I don't know anything about fixing houses. So even if I was buying a house literally next door to where I live, I wouldn't know how to do anything to fix the property. I wouldn't know really even what I'm looking at. So I'm relying on real estate professionals no matter where the property is. So it's the same when I'm investing long distance. If something goes wrong, I'm going to call my handyman and he's going to go fix it or my contractors or somebody on my team is going to help me solve that issue regardless of where the property is. So going back to technology, 
my inspector that I had going through this property, he was literally on FaceTime with me as he walked through this property. And he's showing me all these different things. We're having a conversation and it was basically like I was standing there with him. So it really wasn't much different. And then to really mitigate the risk, since this was my first property, I really did try to mitigate the risk. I always told myself I was never going to buy a single family property. I only wanted to go for multifamily. But I decided to go with the single family because the numbers seemed great. And the mortgage was only about 250 or maybe $300 a month. So I said to myself, well, I can cover that myself with my salary. If everything goes wrong, I can cover that and at least not lose the property. So the risk is relatively small on the downside and the upside is great. So I knew if I didn't just do a deal to get started, if I didn't buy my first rental, I probably never would have. So I knew I needed to just take action. The downside was pretty limited. So I just dove in. How long ago was that? That was about maybe a year, year and a half ago. Okay. And what are your plans for that property? The plans are to just continue to keep it as a rental for the long term. Property number four. We just basically kept multiplying that process. So I brought in a good friend of mine who was interested in getting investing in real estate. And so I brought him in with me as a business partner and we just continue to buy single family properties. We buy multifamily too, but we also just buy more affordable low cost areas. And we just continue to do the same process. Okay. So let's talk about it. What was the fourth property? The fourth property was a single family, also in Wichita Falls. Very, very similar to the first one. It was actually just a couple streets down. So all the numbers were pretty similar. I think we got this one for about 72,000. And it's pretty much been the same. I think we rent that one for about 950 a month. So it's a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but it's pretty much been the same process. We just try and rinse and repeat. Okay. And you said you brought in a partner for this one? Yes. So we're 50-50 partners. We just put in 50-50 everything together and try to keep it simple that way. And I know you've got a property manager, so there's probably not any ongoing oversight on you and your partner's part. But if there is something that needs to be addressed, who addresses it? I Actually, we don't have a property manager. We manage long distance ourselves. Oh, we And we tested this with our first property. That first one in Wichita Falls that I did, I tested it. I said, well, let me see what it's like without a property manager. If it ends up being too difficult, I can always call X, Y, and Z to get that property manager put in place. I always made sure I had that as a backup, but I wanted to try it myself to see if I could save 10% a month. So I did for a while. I did it for six months and it was really only an hour or two hours a month. So it really wasn't taking a lot of my time. So we've decided to just continue to do it ourselves and save that 10% per month. When there is something to be addressed, then it sounds like you're the one who addresses it? Yeah, more or less. My business partner does some things as well, but I handle a lot of it. What does he do? More or less the same as me. I do most of the financial reporting and our accounting. And then if we need a maintenance call or we need to call a handyman or talk to our agent, set up showing, getting, get showing set up, he'll handle. <laughs> he'll handle <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll do a lot of that. Okay. Okay. How did you meet your business partner? We actually just met through mutual friends and we've been friends for four or five years. We are very similar in mindset. We have characteristics that complement each other. So we're not similar in that sense. He's very extroverted, very good at sales and talking to people. I'm very more introverted, accounting numbers focused. So we complement each other well that way, but long-term, we have a lot of the same goals. We have a lot of the same work ethic. So we fit really well together and we had a lot of the same interests. So we decided to go together. What type of loan did you get on this property? Just a conventional 20% down. 
and is it owned by an LLC that you two have ownership in? Yes. So we buy it in our personal names and then we quick claim it to an LLC. Okay. Is that behind the scenes because it would trigger a due on sale clause with the lender or is that something that the lender is fine with? Yes, exactly. So it's more behind the scenes. In general, of course, they have the right. It's not necessarily illegal to do as far as I'm aware, but to your point, the bank does have a clause in their note agreement usually that says they have a due on sale clause, which means they can make the loan due when the property is sold and transferring it to an LLC is technically selling the property. So they do have that right, but in general, they don't have an issue with it as long as you're making the monthly payments. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it hasn't been an issue. And what's the advantage for you to do that? We do it for the liability protection. We could get an insurance policy to do something similar, but in terms of protection, we wanted the LLC in place. Mm -hmm. Property number five. Property number five was, again, very similar to this one. This one was a duplex in Wichita Falls. We went a little bit outside of a good area for this one. We didn't stick to our perfect neighborhood, but so far it's been okay, and we got that one for, I believe it was about 122000 We put 20% down. Each unit rents for 700 or 750 a month. And what gave you the confidence to move forward with it if it's outside of your criteria that you had established previously with the crime? Well, it was still in the same town that we were happy with. And we had built relationships with a lot of people there. And we started to get a little bit more comfortable. And our agent was very straightforward with us. He said, look, it's not the best neighborhood. It's not the best area, but it's also not the worst. So we figured we would take a little bit of a risk on it. And so far it's been okay. There was a couple of properties that we were very close to buying that were in some of the worst areas, but we decided not to. And we decided to really just stay focused on the middle or upper class neighborhoods. Okay. Earlier when we were talking about the current crime level, you want to make sure it's acceptable how do you quantify what acceptable is? So I got the acceptable number from Neil Baba. There's a crime index on a website called City Data. So basically we use that. Basically anything under 500 is pretty good. It's pretty acceptable. Anything above that we tend to not look at. And of course, the lower the better. And the sixth property? The sixth property was a single family. Nope, actually, sorry. That was a duplex more local to us where my business partner is house hacking. We did that together. So we bought it together, but he's house hacking in it. He's living in it and we rent out the second unit. Okay. That's the most recent purchase, correct? Correct. Okay. So you've got the six, well, you've got the five purchases that you still own. You sold the first one, right? Correct. Okay. You sold the first one. Why not sell some of these other ones since you were able to sell the first one so quickly and generate some cash? We plan to in the future, but for now, they haven't appreciated in value like the condo did. The condo, I was planning on holding it for a significant period of time and just renting it out. But because of the renovations that the entire complex went under, I decided to sell it because of the gain. But for these, we plan on buying some more single families, probably in Wichita Falls and some other areas that we're targeting. Eventually, we'll sell all of those and 1031 exchange them into a larger multifamily property. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever is to live where you want to live and invest where the numbers make sense and to also not go big on your first deal. And why is that? 
Well, the first part isn't a quote or an idea that I came up with myself. I've heard quite a few different people talk about it, but I think it's so important because a lot of people don't invest because they can't afford their local area. Like you said, you were in New York City, I'm in Boston. We couldn't. So technology, I think, has completely changed how real estate investing can be done and made it more accessible than ever to invest long distance. And I also think it's important for people to not go big on their first deal because I think that keeps a lot of people from getting started. I love the idea of going big and having massive goals, but when it comes to investing in real estate, especially for new investors, I think it's important to start with something small. Similar to what I did, start with something that you could cover the mortgage if you had to, so that that risk is really limited and it's really mitigated that way. I think that's a great way to learn the ropes and then scale from there. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What if you could earn 10,000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. Best ever book you've recently read? Virtual Freedom by Chris Ducker. What's a resource that you use in your business? that you think would be helpful if others checked it out as well. If you're interested in long distance investing, I think a great resource is a software platform that I've created. It's called Wisery. It allows you to find the demographic data very easily on 6,000 cities across the US. And how can someone get access to that or learn more about it? Just go to wisery.com and that's W-I-S-E-R-E-I.com. What's the best of way you like to give back to the community? The best of way I like to give back is I like to help new investors get started. And I really like helping younger students learn about personal finance and money and help fill the gaps that isn't covered by traditional curriculums. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? The best ever place to reach me is probably on Instagram. My username is Robert at TIP, which is spelled out as Robert A-T-T-I-P. Or as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you could check out my two podcasts, Millennial Investing and Real Estate Investing. Well, Robert, thank you for being on the show talking about the six purchases that you've made in about three years' time and getting into the details of each of those, the financing, the numbers for purchase price, the rents, and how you've built your portfolio and how it's progressed from the first condo at 5% down and using your own money and your experience as a loan officer while you're in college working at a local bank to then doing a live-in flip to then researching out a state. Then once you identify a market, then you bring on a partner and now you two are buying deals. So it's interesting to hear how you've progressed and the steps that you've taken to get to where you're at. And it certainly can be a roadmap for others. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Joe.